are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Ned and I have two daughters. Brittany is 27, lives in Cincinnati. Morgan is 22, and she lives here and is a senior in college. Uh, We had only girls, and it was kind of odd. We were in seminary with uh, lots of close friends, and every one of our close friends had only girls. The Johnsons had two girls. The Fitzgeralds had three girls. The Reeds had three girls. The Hoskins had one girl. We had two girls. Nobody that we knew close had boys. Must have been something in the water in Kansas City. I don't know, but we had only girls. I stay close to my girls, and I feel like once you have little girls, they're just always little girls in your heart. And so Britt and I were on the phone this week, and we live a long ways from each other, and we were talking. And I know that life gets really overwhelming. Being a mom, being a uh, wife, having a job, managing all that you've got to manage, and sometimes it just feels like just too much, you know. And so we were talking, and I was trying to encourage her, and I was praying for her. And before I hung up the phone from her, I said, Hey, Britt, I want you to hear me say something, okay? And she goes, Okay, Daddy, what do you want to say to me? And I said, You are not alone. This is a number that you can always call. And if I need to, I will get in my car, and I will come to where you are. You are not by yourself. And I know she's got a husband, and I know she's got in-laws, and I know she's got a mom, and I know she's got friends, but I just wanted to say, Britt, I'm telling you, no matter what happens in your life, you can call my number, and if I need to, I will come to where you are, because I am with you. I'm on your side. Brittany just says, Daddy, I know I could call you. I love you so much. I love you, Brittany. I'm praying for you all the time, okay? Okay, Daddy. And I hung up. I want to share something with you this morning. This is a security that I'm describing to you that I live with every day of my life. Not just because I have an earthly mother and father who I still call at the age of 54 and say, I feel really overwhelmed today. And they say, we're praying for you. You can call us. The cycle just keeps on, you know. But I have a heavenly Father who assures me over and over again that He is with me. In fact, He proved it by sending His Son into my world. And when people found themselves in the presence of Jesus, do you know what the reaction was? Oh, man! God is with us. That's what people said when they hung around Jesus. They said things like, Surely God has come to help His people. And so I want you to hear me really well this morning, okay? I don't know what your day is like. I don't know what your week looks like or your month is like. But I want to say this to you. And I want you to hear me real clearly. You are not alone. God is there for you. So let's go to Matthew. And let's go to chapter 1. And let's talk about what God has to say to you this morning through His Word. He knew you would be here. He's got you in His heart. He loves you dearly. I almost just fell off the platform. But we are going to be good. Last week, we were in the book of Matthew chapter 1. And we dealt with the genealogy. 
And what we learned about the genealogy is that God says through His Word, through Matthew, this is who Jesus is. And what we learned is that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. God has made many promises. And Matthew is saying that in Jesus, all the prophecies, all the promises of God are fulfilled. So, we're going to go to verse 18. Now, if you were in the Gospel of Luke this morning, you would be hearing the birth story through the eyes of Mary, but not in Matthew. In Matthew, you hear the birth story through the eyes of Joseph. You ready? This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant. If you stop there, it would cause a little more concern. But it says, through the Holy Spirit. But Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. So he had in mind to divorce her quietly. You understand, Joseph is engaged and he finds out that his fiancée is pregnant. And what does he assume? He assumes that she has been unfaithful to him. And so he says, in my mind, I only have two options. I either make a big deal out of this and make a public divorce out of it, or I just become very private in it and I try to save her some shame. And so Joseph is a compassionate guy and he says, I've decided I'm going to save her some shame and I'm going to do this quietly. But after he considered this, an angel, not unusual now, for God to speak through an angel, okay? Angels were often messengers of God. You remember as you go on in the story, when Herod is trying to kill all the boys in the land, the angel comes and says to Joseph, get your son out of here, the king is trying to kill him. When Herod dies, the angel appears to Joseph again and says, go home, Herod is dead. And so this messenger of God comes and he appeared to him in a dream and he said, Joseph, son of David, back to the genealogy, the legal genealogy, do not be afraid. That's a normal response. Here's why. I'm a man, you're an angel, you're talking to me, I'm afraid. I don't care what's going on, I'm, I'm afraid. The other thing is that you're about to tell me that my girlfriend is pregnant and what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Babies aren't born without human fathers, I'm afraid again. Natural response. But don't be afraid. And here's why. To take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Great time to underline if you'd like to underline. Because he will save his people from their sin. The name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sin. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Oh, so you're telling me there was a promise that was made. Yes. <laughs> a long time ago through a prophet, God said, this is what's going to happen. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. You want to read with me? The virgin will conceive... And give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
You say, I don't really understand the prophecy. 734 B.C. Ahaz, the king of Judah, realized that an unholy alliance had formed between the king of Israel and the king of Aram, Syria. And God says, don't worry, Ahaz. They will not defeat you. I will keep my promises. There will always be someone on the throne in the line of David. They won't defeat you. And this is a sign a virgin will give birth. And Matthew looks back and says, not only did God keep his promise to Ahaz, but this is a promise of a Messiah to come, and Jesus today is the fulfillment of that promise. So, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is God's word for us today. I look around my world, and I see so much brokenness. People who are hurting, people who are in pain, people who are suffering, people who have been forced to leave their homes to save their own lives as Christians, people who are victims of abuse, just brokenness. Everywhere I look, I just see all this brokenness. And I just ask myself at times, and God, what what can I do? I mean, I, I can't fix what's wrong with the world. If I could fix... What is wrong with the world, I would have fixed it a long time ago. If I could have brought peace to this world, I would have brought peace to this world. The problem is that when I look at the world, I feel like that its repair is beyond human possibilities. I don't ever think when we're electing a president, he's going to fix the world. I don't ever think when another country gets a new leader, he'll fix the world. I feel like we are standing at the edge of human possibilities. And we can't fix what's wrong with the world. I mean, when I think about San Bernardino, California, please. I mean, it was New York and it was Boston and it was Paris, big cities. But this sleepy little town of a couple of hundred thousand people and people walk in and start shooting. What, what do you do? Where does this end? How do you fix this? And I got a feeling that you understand this better than maybe you think you do because you would say, Pastor Rick, in my own life today, I've got concerns. And maybe it's over a son or a daughter and you wish you could fix their life, but you can't fix their life and you've tried to fix their life and you've not been able to fix their life and you find yourself worried about your kids. Or maybe it's a friend or a family member or maybe it's an illness that you're dealing with or somebody that you love is dealing with and you wish you could heal them but you can't heal them and God knows if you could heal them you would have already healed them. Or maybe it's somebody that you love who needs Jesus and you can't stand watching them live without Jesus and you can't bear the idea of them one day leaving this world without Jesus. When I think about Where human possibilities stop, things that I can't fix, you know who I think about? I think about your friend Hudson. I wish I could fix it. I can't fix it. Sometimes we just walk right up to the edge and this is as far as we can go. This is where human possibilities stop. 
and I can't fix it. And everybody has concerns. Everybody. I mean, you ever look around at people and think, is your life just perfect? Do you never have a problem? Sometimes I get up in the mornings and I go in my kitchen and I stand there with a cup of coffee in my hand and I look out our back window into our little lake behind our house. And there's ducks out there, especially in the winter. And the ducks are just kind of gliding along. It just kind of looks like they're floating and they have not a care in the world, not a thought. It just, wow, to be a duck, you know, just... Do you know what you can't see? As they're just kind of floating along. What you can't see is that underwater they are doing this. As hard as they can do it. 90 miles an hour, man, their hearts are beating. Ducks are just paddling away. But when you look at them, they look like they're just... And you look at people, and you watch them go through life, and it looks like they're just kind of gliding along. But inside, they are just doing this. Trying to struggle through what life throws at them. And what happens is we become consumed. You remember the black dot that I showed you a couple of weeks ago? I just drew a dot on the back of a piece of paper and asked you what you see and everybody talked about the dot and nobody said, well, I see 99% white. We just get focused on the dark spots in our lives. And some of you are saying, I've got three dark spots. Is it okay to have four? But you just become obsessed and you just focus on the dark and you can't seem to get beyond it. I believe this morning that God's Word has some great stuff for us in regard to when we come to those places in life that we just can't fix things. Our human limitations just stop. So here we go. I was in Swaziland, small country that we talked about a moment ago in southern Africa, and I'm riding in a combi one day. A combi is a small a uh, passenger van, okay, a small passenger van. And the driver of the combi, his name was Mongi. And uh, we see him a lot when we go there. He's usually our driver. And uh, in Swaziland, the driver is on the right side of the vehicle. And so I'm in the passenger seat. I'm on the left side where I would normally be in the driver's seat. And so I'm just riding along and I'm just looking at the mountains. And I just say to Mongi, it just came to my mind, Mongi, uh, in Swaziland, if you want to get married, is there a dowry involved? And Mongi looks at me and he says, what? I said, if you want to marry someone, if you want a bride, do you have to pay her family the price for her? And Mongi says, yes, 15 cows. I said, 15 cows to get a wife? Yes, you have to pay Fifteen cows. I've been thinking about that, Annette. You're worth more than fifteen cows to me. I want you to know. You're a twenty cow kind of girl, in my opinion. You're. I said, "What do you do if you don't have cows? If you don't raise cattle?" He said, "Oh, you agree on the price of a cow, and you multiply that by fifteen, and you pay the father of the bride." That much money in Emlingini, it's that's their currency. 
See, I don't, I don't understand the marriage customs of Swaziland unless someone informs me. Nor do I understand the customs in Jesus' day unless someone informs me. Because when I read this, you can become confused really quick because here's what you read. Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph and then it says Joseph, her husband. Wait a minute, I thought they were engaged. Why does it say her husband? And then it says he's going to divorce her quietly. Why would you divorce somebody that you're not even married to but you're only engaged to? And here's the reason why. In Nazareth 2,000 years ago with Joseph and Mary, these were the customs. Your mom and dad would decide who you're going to marry. You like that? You think she's pretty? It doesn't matter. You're going to marry her anyway. We picked her for you. That's the way it worked. Oh, for the days where we can pick the people that our kids marry again, right? And so once they decided who you were going to marry... You were engaged to that person for one year. And during that year, you were considered husband and wife. The marriage could only be broken by divorce. If you were unfaithful to them or with someone else, it was considered adultery. And if your, say, fiancé, if he died during the year, you were considered a widow. And so that's where Mary and Joseph are when she becomes pregnant. And the angel says to Joseph... Don't be afraid. What is conceived in her is a Holy Spirit kind of thing. It's interesting to me when Matthew tells this story. He doesn't embellish it. And he doesn't try to convince you. He doesn't like add on. Seriously, this really happened? Nothing like that. He just tells the story as fact because he believes it's fact. And he also believes this is the reason why Jesus is the person that he is. I know what Matthew believes. Can you look at me in the eye for a minute? What do you believe? Do you believe God could and did act in that way? Do you believe that a 15-year-old girl becomes pregnant and the only explanation that is real is that the Holy Spirit created pregnancy in her? Now, I think I know how some of you think and some of you are thinking, can we get back to that other conversation? The one about where when human limitations stop and where I can't fix what's wrong in my life and I can't fix what's wrong with my kids and I can't fix what's wrong with somebody who needs healing. Can we get back to that conversation? But here's the deal. That conversation depends on whether or not you believe God could or would act in this way. Because here's the real question. When human limitations run out, can you trust God with your life? So I don't know if you write stuff down, but I would love it if a whole bunch of you would write this question down and you would deal with it all week and you wouldn't just give the answer that the pastor thinks you ought to answer, but you would really answer it in the way you are in your heart, what you really believe. Can I trust God? When human limitations run out. When I can't fix it, can I turn to God? So let me take it just one step deeper. You ready? Here we go. Take out your worship folder, would you? 
You got one when you came in the door, right? You got it? So you're going to open it up all the way. All right. And on this far right side, it's actually been perforated. If you fold it like that, you can just tear it off. So tear that off, if you will. You got that? You can use this as a bookmark. You can put it in your wallet. Make sure it's somewhere very visible for you for these next few weeks. It's going to be very important to you. I hope it becomes very important to you. And what it says on the front, Advent at BFC, and it talks about Angel Tree. We've invited a lot of people to Angel Tree today. It talks about the Nativity Story film tonight, Exaltation, a Christmas celebration, and Christmas Eve service. Also, Christmas Worship Sunday is great. And on the back it says, I will pray for and look for opportunities to invite those people to Advent activity. So I've been asking you for a long time to pray about who you're going to invite. We feel like our mission is connect people to Jesus. We feel like it's important that we share Jesus with people. And one of the times in the year that people are more likely who don't know Jesus to come to a church with you, to be exposed to the gospel, is at Christmas time. And so what I would love for you to do before you leave here, even today, even if you sit in your seat when everybody else has walked out the door and you're just sitting here pondering and praying and you're writing down names of people that God's putting in front of you. Now there's a reason why we do this and we go back to the passage for it. Here's what the angel said to Joseph. We're going to call his name what? We're going to call his name what? Jesus. And why are we going to call him Jesus? Because he will save his people from their sins. Now think with me for a minute. Jesus is the equivalent of the Hebrew name Joshua. Joshua means Jehovah is salvation. Joshua is also the leader who led the people of Israel into the promised land after being in slavery for many years. So here's the deal. Matthew says there's another kind of slavery. It's not one where you're beat with whips and you're forced to build bricks out of straw and mud. There's a slavery to sin. And there's another kind of exile besides just being taken from your home and living in a country like Babylon. It's possible to be really far from God in your heart. In the story of the Bible... All through the Old Testament, there is a desire to be free from the suffering of nations who were ruling over them. But there was also a desire to be free from sin. People have a sin problem. And that sin separates us from God. And Jesus came to save us from our sin. And to make us right with God. And then He said... I'm recruiting you. I want you to make disciples. I want you to help people connect with Jesus. I want you to help people know that they can be saved from sin. But then he says something else. This Emmanuel word. So we're going to give him the name Jesus, but they're going to call him Emmanuel. So Jesus is what he's going to do. He's going to save people. But what they're going to say about him is simply this. God is with us. So do you remember this story that I told a year ago during Advent about Jesus going into a village called Nain? And when he gets into the village, he realizes there's a funeral procession coming out of the village. So Jesus and his entourage are met by this funeral procession and they all come to a dead stop. 
And the widow's only son was laying in the coffin. And Jesus says to her, don't cry. What do you mean, don't cry? My son is dead and I don't have a husband. You're telling me not to cry. And Jesus touches the young boy, his dead body, and he raises him to life and he gives him back to his mother. Do you remember that sermon? Okay, just when I say, do you remember a sermon, whether you do or not, just say, oh yeah, we remember all of your sermons, Rick. Here's what the people said after it happened. They jumped back and they said, God has come to help His people. That's what they said about Jesus. God is here. So when you take the virgin birth and the name Jesus and the name Emmanuel and you put it all together, here's what you've got. Lean in. God is with you. Working to rescue you from your hopeless situation when human limitations have all run out. (laughs) I love this. Thaddeus, did you say yes, yes? Yes, yes. I wish everybody could hear you, Thaddeus. Help me preach. God is with you. Working to rescue you from your hopeless situation when all human efforts have been exhausted. So what I do, Rick, you wait for God. That's what Advent is. Do you know what Advent is? It's when you wait for God to come. I'm waiting for God to show up. I can't fix it. God knows if I could have fixed it, Rick, I would have fixed it a long time ago. But I'm waiting for God. That's Advent. I'm waiting for God to come. And I'm waiting for God to work powerfully to rescue me from this hopeless situation when human possibilities have all been exhausted. So here's what I want you to do. You ready? I want you to think about your greatest concern right now. What's, what, what do you see when you look at the page? What is, what is the dark spot that comes to your mind first? What are you worried about? What are you concerned for? What do you pray about? What are you needing help with? What is it that you can't fix? What is it? Just get it in your mind right now. And some of you are saying, I've got two. Some of you are saying, I've got three. Some of you are saying, I've got four. Okay, that's all right. So what a time to remind yourself in the midst of this waiting... God is with me. And He is working to rescue me when human possibilities have run out. This is really good news, people. And so this week, in my life, I turned to God. And me and Annette, we held each other early one morning. And we just prayed and we said, Lord, we can't fix it. We cannot fix it. We have to wait for you. And it doesn't happen this way all the time. But I was on the phone standing outside of a car wash. And in that phone call, God answered my prayer. And I just broke down and I'm standing there crying. People are vacuuming their cars, looking over at me. 
because God came and he rescued me. When human possibilities were exhausted. I've been living this sermon all week. And so what is it in your life We celebrate his presence this morning in the act of receiving the elements. And so what I want those of you who are going to do to serve us, would you please come and would the rest of you stand with me at this time? Now sometimes at this point we get kind of jumbled and you don't hear everything I say. And so I'm just going to speak a little quieter. I'm going to ask you to pay real close attention to what I say next, okay? Here's what I'm going to say. Who can do this? Who gets to take communion, okay? Here's the answer. You ready? It's the person who is waiting for God to come and rescue you in your situation because human efforts have been exhausted. I'm simply saying if you're sincere and you're seeking God, this is for you. Even this morning, if you say, Rick, I'm not a follower of Jesus, I would say to you, you can know Him today. The good news, He has come, He has come, and He will forgive you, and He will, he will cleanse your heart, and He will make you a new person. Ask for forgiveness now, and receive the juice and the bread as we receive it together, a part of this great family of God. Once you've received the elements, would you hold them? And we will all eat and drink together.
Jesus was with his disciples. And he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that is broken for you. Take it and eat it. Then he took the cup. And he said, this is my blood that is shed for you. The blood of the new covenant. Drink it, all of you. receive his grace in this moment and we celebrate his presence in this moment to be Christian is to practice the sacraments God is with us today and we are grateful let's sing again and as we sing feel free to shake hands to celebrate with one another uh, to pray for one another to write down names of people that God brings before you go from this place today knowing in your heart that God is with you working to rescue you when human limitations have ceased you have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene visit us online at bethanynaz.org